As we end this series uh, on January 8th, we started this series and we gave the theme for Generation Church for 2017. And the theme was this, that as a church, we are going to walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, on that Sunday, we define what faith is. And uh, in the book of Hebrews and then chapter 11, it tells us that faith is the confidence of the things that we hope for will actually happen. Then it says that faith reassures us of the things that we cannot see. And so we've been talking through this series that that faith isn't so much an act, but faith is a noise that we hear. And as the volume of faith turns up, the more God reassures us of the things that we cannot see. And we've seen some incredible stories of faith. We talked about people like Abraham and Moses and Enoch and Abel. Uh, We talked about Moses' parents, a lady called Sarah. Uh, We talked about the people of Israel. Uh, But today we're going to narrow it down a little bit and we're going to talk about some people that we really can relate to. I want to start off by sharing a story and the story is of a wee little old lady who used to come to my father's church. My dad was a pastor and I grew up in this church in England and this little old lady came to our church. Her name was Mrs. Guest. Mrs. Guest was about four foot ten on a good day and when she talked she talked with a whisper. And so you could hardly hear when she talked. And, and, and so when she would talk to you, you'd have to like lean down and lean into her to hear what she had to say. But she was a dear old lady. She was not the life and soul of a party. She was not the type of person that walked into the room and everyone gravitated towards her. In fact, she would walk in and out of church and hardly anybody would notice her. But she was there every time there was a Bible study, every time there was a prayer service, every time time there was a regular worship service. Mrs. Guest was there and and she became close to our family and she was this dear lady who would pray for us as a family. She was not one of those people uh, that, that, uh, that would stand at the front and preach or she would not be the ones that sing but she was one of those who was the life soul of our church because we knew that she was home on her knees praying for us and praying for the church. Well in 2005 I left uh uh, the 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 wonderful shores of Great Britain, and I came to uh, the colonies, and I came over here to the United States of America, and. Uh When when I left, she would often ask my mother, when she would see my mother at church, how's Alexander doing? Because they call me Alexander. Only people in my church call me Alexander and my family. Everyone else called me Alex. But she would how's Alexander doing? And my mom would be like, great. And she would ask all the time how we're doing. She's like, I'm praying for them. And, uh, you know, she goes, I like them a lot. And, uh, you know, I want God to do great things. And then in 2010, she asked my mom again, how's Alexander doing? And my mom says, Oh, I've got great news. Uh, Alexander and and Raquel, they're going to be starting a new church called Generation Church. They're going to be what they call planting a church. And and when when my mom said that, my mother told me that her face just turned with joy. She had this big smile on her face. And as my mom started to tell her about this church that we were starting, she turned to my mother and she says, oh, I want to be part of it. She goes, I want to be part of that church. She goes, I know I can't attend it because there's a big ocean 
promotion in the way. But I want to do what I can uh, to be part of that church. She said to my mother, she said, she says, I, I, I cannot reach that generation. She says, she said, no, no one from that generation is going to listen to me. She goes, I can pray for them, but nobody's going to listen to me. But I want to do what I can to help them in that church so that they can reach their generation and generations after. And so my mom told me about it, and, uh, and it was nice to hear how Mrs. Guest was doing. And then about six months later, my mother called me, and she said, Hey, I wanted to let you know, I saw Mrs. Guest at church this morning, and she handed me an envelope. She goes, In the envelope, there was some money. She goes, It may not seem like a lot, but for her, it's a lot. And so my mom says, I'm going to wire the money over to the church. And so my mother wired the money over, and there was about $200 that Mrs. Guest had given to Generation Church. Uh, Now, to, to back this up, many of you are younger, and $200 to you may seem like a lot. It may not seem like a lot. But for somebody who is on Social Security, $200 is a lot. Now, what you don't understand, and many of you younger people, uh, when you retire and you get that Social Security check, you may not even get it because there may not even be Social Security when some of you retire. But if you get that Social Security check, this is what you're going to find out. That check is a whole lot less than what you're earning right now. And as all the bills go up, that check doesn't really change at all. And so when you're on this fixed income, you really have to watch your budget and you have to be careful about what you're spending. And so this little old lady, she was a widow and she hardly had anything at all. But she had told my mother, she says, when I heard that they were starting that church, she says, I I I went away and every time I could save some money, I put it aside and I wanted to give it for Alexander in that church. She said, she said that sometimes I, I went without some of the stuff that I normally have because I wanted to sow a seed in, in, into that church because I knew God was going to use it. And, and so she gave me that money and like that, you can imagine that overwhelming feeling of, oh man, this little old lady. Then, then about four, four, four to five months later, my mom called me again. She says, hey, I saw Mrs. Guest at church this morning. She gave me some more cash for you. So she wired the money over. It was like another $150. And then periodically, she would give money to the church because she couldn't be here, but she could pray for us and she could give out of, of what she had left over. Now, just to, to, to complete the story. Now, when you're starting a church, things are really hard. And in 2010, it was really hard. And I didn't know if we were going to make it or not. We didn't have money. We didn't have people. We didn't have any common sense. We didn't have anything. We didn't have a building. And so I didn't know if we were going to make it or not. And there were times when I would sit at home and I'd just be like, I'm just done. I, I, I just, I, I don't know if, if, if we've got the strength to start this church. But every time I think about that, suddenly I would be thinking, hmm, We've got to continue because this little old lady gave money. We cannot rob a little old lady. So Mrs. Guest was one of the big driving factors in me continuing and this church starting. And it reminds me of a story 
That's found in Luke chapter 21. And this story, as Jesus gives this story of, uh, of a little old widow who goes to a t- the temple and she has a few coins and she puts it uh, into the offering plate at the temple and she gives of a few little coins. And then this rich man comes over, pulls out his wallet, gets a wad of notes and counts through them and then dumps a wad of notes in the offering plate. And Jesus says, that little old widow has actually given more than this rich man because she gave out of all that she had. He just gave out of his surplus. And as I was hearing the story of Mrs. Guest, this is all I could think. You see, because $200 really to me is not me making a step of faith. If I was to give $200, yeah, $200 is, is great. You know, I could maybe like, you know, get, uh, uh, get some uh, butcher new clothes. I can go to a nice dinner in a nice restaurant, 200 bucks. I could pay for my cell phone bill for one month here with 200 bucks. But ultimately, $200 is not that much to me. But to a little old lady, it was a huge step of faith for her. And this widow in the temple, it was exactly the same. She was given in faith. See, this story about Mrs. Guest should be an encouragement to us all. It is an encouragement to me because it shows us that faith isn't for the special few. Faith isn't for those who have tremendous gifts and talents. Faith isn't for the larger-than-life preacher with big hair and a white suit and appears on TV. Faith is not for the person who we think is holier than thou. Faith is not just for that person who has God's phone number. You know, you've probably met those some of those people. They've got God's phone number every single day. It's like God has been speaking to them. Like you turn up at Chick-fil-A and you get a spicy chicken sandwich and they're like, God is speaking that you're getting to bring some spice into your life. You know, like those kind of people, they've always got a word from God. Faith is not just for those kinds of people. Faith is for everybody. Faith is even for poor, forgotten widows who nobody would even notice coming in and out of a building. See, faith is not something that God rewards once you achieve a certain level of Christianity. Faith is not something that only the ultra-godly practice, but faith is available to all the average folks who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so often when we think about faith, we think of uh, in terms of the spectacular. Through this series, we've we've talked about Abraham and Sarah, and they had a child when they were 190 years old. That's spectacular. That would make the nightly news, I think, if a woman had a baby at 90 years old. We think of Noah who built an ark in a desert. I mean, who does that? That's spectacular. We think of Moses when he saw the Red Sea split into two. The children of Israel who were fed every single day and never went without, even though they lived in a desert where there was no food around at all. That is spectacular. But what I've discovered is that faith is rarely about the spectacular but it is more about the choices we make in everyday life. It is those small steps like Mrs. Guest made that faith is made out of. See, when we get to heaven, some of us, when we get to heaven, we're probably going to be searching out for the Abrahams. Where's Abraham? 
Where is he? He's probably the guy with the long beard. Not the guy with the big hat, but the guy with the long beard. And where's Moses? Where is he? I want to see Moses. I want to get a glimpse of Moses. And we're probably going to be looking for all the stars of the Bible. Where's David? And I got a feeling that Jesus is going to be there. And he was saying, hey, forget all those. Here's Mrs. Guest. Here are the Mrs. Guests of the world. These are the ones who, who made an impact for generations to come with their small little steps of faith. And so this morning, I want to share uh, uh, some stories of a, of a couple of people that Hebrews chapter 11, they finish off with. And, and some of these you may never have heard about. Some of them you're wondering, what are they even doing in this chapter? It's called the chapter of faith. And it's got all the stars of the Bible in there. And you're like, what are these people even doing in here? I'm going to start reading at Hebrews 11 verse 31. It says this. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people of her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Notice what that says there. It says, it was by faith that Rahab, then we've got a title for her, the prostitute. This wasn't a woman who was a great woman of faith. This wasn't someone who's on every single TV station. This wasn't somebody who's got a church of a gazillion followers. This was a prostitute. This was someone who was living an undignified life, an ungodly life. She was someone at this point in her life, she had never experienced the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But yet her name appears with the superstars of Hebrews chapter 11. It's kind of amazing that a prostitute would be considered on equal footing with Abraham. Let me tell you a little bit about the story, what happened. The Israelites had got to Jericho. Jericho was this big fortified city. And they realized if they couldn't get through Jericho, they couldn't go into the promised land and all the things God had promised for them. And so Israel sent two spies into uh, Jericho to scope out the land, to scope out the city. Is there any weak spots in the city? And as they were scoping out the city, the authorities uh, found out that they were in the city. So they came searching for them. And as they were searching for them, this woman, Rahab, she came and she got them. And she invited them into their house. Did you know that's kind of like dodgy ground? You're a man of God and you're in a prostitute's house. Kind of suspect, right? But anyway, she's in their house and then suddenly the authorities come knocking and they say, where are the spies? We believe you are hiding them. And Rahab turns to them and says, they were here, but they've gone. Really, they were still there. And then Rahab took them and she led them a safe spot out of the city so that they could survive. That is all she did. She didn't do anything else. All she did, she became hospitable and she welcomed two people into her house. You would not think that is an act of faith, but Hebrews 11 tells us that was an act of faith. See, every time you invite people into your life who are not like you, it takes faith to do that. And so Rahab invited these spies in, they escaped. And then this is the promise the spies said. When God destroys your city, you and your household will survive. 
So I don't know if you know the story, but Israel marched around Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, they shouted out a cry for God uh, and for Joshua. And then all the walls came crushing down. They destroyed the whole city of Jericho, except for Rahab and her household. They were freed. They survived. See, this forgotten act of hospitality that let's be honest you won't even wonder why is that even in the bible why is that in the bible this forgotten act of hospitality not only saved Rahab but it saved the spies and then it opened the door for God to do the impossible And your everyday choices may not seem important to you, but when made with the attitude of faith, they have the ability to allow God to do the impossible. So this semester, you may be thinking, well, maybe I could host a small group. I'm not so sure if I could host one or not. If you be like Rahab, open your home to people. You don't know the door that you are opening, whether God's going to do the impossible in your life. Maybe thinking, well, I would like to lead a small group, but I just don't feel comfortable enough. I don't feel strong enough to do it in my faith. It's a small step of faith to say yes to God. And God can open the door and do the miraculous and impossible in your life. See, the amazing thing about this story is it doesn't just stop there. With Rahab, it's not like she just survived and then that was it. Actually, when you read the Bible, Rahab's name comes up a few times. If you ever read the genealogy of Jesus, that means the descendants of Jesus, the family line of Jesus, you will see a name there that you will not believe. And do you know what that name is? Rahab. Rahab was a descendant of Jesus. If Rahab had never opened her doors to those spies, then maybe Jesus would have never been here on this earth. She is a descendant of the Savior of the world, the forgiver of sins. All because of a small act of faith. My great-grandfather was an, an alcoholic. He worked in the shipyards of Bristol, England. Anyone who worked in the shipyards had to be a hard man. Kind of, you were a hard drinker, you, you were like all man, and you had no sensitivity about you at all. You would go to work, you would finish work, you'd get drunk, then you would go home, and that was it. And that was my, my great-grandfather. And, and this was his life day after day. He was so hard against God. He didn't want anything to do with God. There was no room for God in his life. But my great-grandmother had found Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She got incredibly saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day in Bristol, there was an evangelist coming to Bristol. He was a famous evangelist. His name was George Jeffries, and many people had found Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior under his teaching. And so my grandmother, she prayed and prayed for my great-grandfather, but she knew that if she could just get him to that service where that guy was preaching, then maybe God could do something. And so she plucked up the courage one day to ask my great-grandfather to accompany her to this service, to hear this man, George Jeffrey, speak. My great-grandfather, he laughed at her. He was like, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus, that God thing at all. So he went off to work, 
And after work, he told all his friends about what his wife had invited him to. They went to the local pub, and they got incredibly drunk. And then while they're in the pub, there was something that stirred within my great-grandfather. And he says, we're going to go to that service. We're going to disrupt it, and we're going to make fun of it, and we're going to mock it. And it was like this outdoor service that was going on. And my great-grandfather, as he got to the outskirts, and he started to sit, and he saw the people there listening to this great man speak, suddenly my great-grandfather said, that something happened within him. In a moment, he sobered up. He said he was more sober than he had ever been for years. He heard that guy speak, and suddenly he said he was shaking, and something happened. Suddenly he started crying. His eyes started to, to, to water with tears. He said he got down on his knees, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he said he was never the same again. He never, from that moment forth, never touched a drop of alcohol again in his life. And following that, he turned his life around. My grandfather became a believer of Jesus Christ because of what he saw in my great-grandfather. Then following that, my grandfather, he had three children. All of them went into the ministry uh, for Jesus Christ. Following that, his eight grandchildren. So my great-grandfathers, I don't know how many great-grandchildren he had, but all eight of us on my grandfather's side, all of us are now in church ministry. All because a lady plucked up the courage to take a step of faith and ask her husband to come to a church service with her. That's all it takes for God to open the door to the impossible. And who knows, generations and generations later can be affected because of your small steps of faith. See, faith comes in all different shapes and sizes. Not all faith looks the same. There's no way to measure faith. There's no way to rank faith. The only, no, the only way we know we have more faith is when the volume of God's voice keeps getting turned up and we start hearing God more and more. See, it's all about trusting God when you can't see the outcome. Let's see what hap else happens in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 32, it says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith, of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Japheth, of David, of Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from the dead, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. See, as you read the Bible, you'll start to see that the Bible is full of a collection of stories of people who decided that even though they saw trouble all around, something within them told them that they needed to walk by faith and not by sight and to trust God. So Hebrews 11 gives us a list of different people. They mention Gideon. And Gideon shows us that when we go up against the odds... When we have faith, it's okay, because when God is on your side, you always have a majority. Always have a majority. 
Barak shows us that even if you follow God and you do great things for God, sometimes others will be honored in your place. Others will be pushed into the limelight while you are pushed back. And even if that happens to you, Barak shows us that God still honors you and God still lifts you up. Samson shows us that even when you are weak, God can use you. You know, Corinthians say that his strength, God's strength, is made perfect in our weakness. And Samson had become weak, but in his weakness, he cried out to God and God gave him strength. Japheth is one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible. You'll find it in the book of Judges. A sad, sad story. But the story of Japheth, it teaches us that God always comes first. And sometimes you have to make major sacrifices for God. But if you put God first, God will always see you through. David, and many of you, you know the stories of David, but David gives us the example that God will protect us and honor us when we stand up to those who mock God. Samuel, Hebrews 11 mentions, he helps us understand that when God speaks, sometimes it's really hard to discern if it's God's voice. But if you keep honest and you keep listening eventually you will know it's God's voice and when you hear God's voice and you stay close to God's voice you never stop hearing God's voice see these people they show us that faith always glorifies God and faith shouldn't be never be used to glorify ourselves faith equips you and strengthens you for the journey ahead And if you want to be remembered in history, if you want the generations to follow you to be remembered, if you want the people who who are your offspring to follow Jesus, then it's faith that is required. I remember when I was a a, a high schooler, I went to a school that had 1,500 people in our high school. 60% of those people were from a Hindu or Muslim background. And out of those 1,500 people, four people in that whole school, four people professed Jesus Christ as Lord. That's it. There was no association of Christian athletes, fellowship of Christian athletes. There was no Bible club. And I remember I was one of those four. And I had friends, none of them were believers of Jesus. And after a while, after a few years, they started to notice something different about me. And it wasn't the way I dressed, it wasn't what I ate, it wasn't the sports team I supported, it wasn't how well I was doing at school, because I was just the average guy. It was something that was very strange. And this is what they noticed. One day someone says, Alex, I don't think I've ever heard you cuss. And I was like, yeah, because I don't cuss. And they were like, no, of course you do. Everybody cusses, right? I was like, no, honestly, I've never cussed. So from that moment for the next six months or so, my friends did everything they could to make me cuss. They would try and make me repeat words and say words. And I'm like, no, that's a cuss word. They're like, no, it's not a cuss word. You can say it. I'm like, no, it's not a cuss word. And then one day, and now let me tell you, these are my friends 
not my enemies. You will not want friends like these. One day we're walking home, we're coming out of school and we're walking home and just uh, as we're walking out of school, there, there was a road that there was hardly any, any buildings around and nobody could see you. And obviously my friends had been whispering and there was about 10 of them and suddenly as I'm walking, suddenly they just cause a circle around me. They surround me and they're like, okay, Alex, today is the day you are going to cuss. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to cuss, guys. And so my friends started pushing me. And then they started kicking me. Then they started punching me. Like I said, these are my friends. Don't feel sorry for me. I did worse to other people. So so they started doing this. And they were like, cuss. And I'm like, I'm not going to cuss. They're like, Alex, we'll stop. You're going to get hurt. Like I I fell on the floor one time, got back up. They're like, you're going to get hurt. Just cuss and we will stop. I'm like, no, I'm not going to cuss. I don't believe it. Now, let me just tell you. If that happened to me today, I would probably cuss. You know, I'm, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm not going to get beat up. But in my lack of wisdom, I was like headstrong. I'm like, I'm not going to cuss. And after about five minutes to ten minutes, they, they, they suddenly looked at me and they said, they said, oh, man, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, I am. And then they said this, but respect to you, man. And they patted me on the back and then we all walked home like we were friends, you know. They could not believe that I would stand up for something that I believed in. Even when all it happened, all one, all I had to do was make one little word out of my mouth. But you know, it was amazing. After that time, they looked at me very different. They respected me very different. They said a whole lot of different things to me after that. Even some of them, when they were going through hard times, they came up to me and they wanted me to pray with them and help them out. Why? Because I took a small step of faith and said, I'm not going to let people mock God. I'm not going to let, let my, my values go. I'm going to step out in faith for God. And this is what Hebrews 11, 30, 36 to 40 tells us. It says this, it says, some of these people, they were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were, sa- some were sawed in half. I mean, who does that? Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep, goats, and goats destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. None of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. See, when you read the stories of the Bible, you start to understand that faith is not easy. And the reason faith is not easy is because not everybody will walk a a life of faith. Actually, in fact, you'll find learning to walk by faith and not by sight will often cause you to go down the long and winding, lonely road that is less traveled. So as we're about to close this series, I want to read some statements to you about faith that I believe to be true. And what I want you to do, if you've got a pen and paper, I want you to write these down. If you don't, you can take a picture with your cell phone of the screen. But I'm going to read these 10 statements that I believe to be true about faith. And I want you to keep them. 
Because you will go through times in your life when you will doubt God. It's not if you doubt God, it's when you doubt God. You will go through times in your life where it feels like what you see is nothing what God promised at all in your life. You'll go through times in your life where it feels like God is just negligent and He's not even near and He doesn't even care. And it's these statements of faith I believe will help you and encourage you. And So these are the statements of faith that I believe to be true. Number one, it is by faith we find the strength to overcome despite our weaknesses. Remember, his strength is made perfect in weakness. Number two, it is by faith that we will lift Jesus up even when others around are trying to pull him down. Number three, it is by faith that we keep our eyes on Jesus even when we are tired and just want to close our eyes. Number four, it is by faith that we are sustained with goodness, even when recession and lack are all around. Number five, it is by faith that we keep walking even if we don't know where we are heading. And some of you, you're in that place right now, you don't know where your life is heading. But keep walking in faith for God will direct your path. Number six, it is by faith that we keep praising even when it feels like God has left the building. And maybe you can't hear God, maybe you can't sense God, but it doesn't mean that you stop praising God. Number seven, it is by faith that we keep praying, even though we have asked many times before. Number eight, it is by faith that we hand control over to God even though we want to be in control. Number nine, it is by faith that we decrease so that he can increase. And then finally today, it is by faith that we wait for what is to come. See, I believe that faith isn't a one-time act or belief. Faith is not just for the season of your life when life is hard, but faith is a lifestyle. And it becomes ingrained in every decision and every step that we make along the way. So when people see you, do they see someone who is walking by faith? Or do they see someone who is walking by sight? See, I don't believe we all have to be like Abraham or Moses or David to be a person of faith. Some of us, we're the Mrs. Guests of this world who make just small steps of faith who can impact generations to come. Let's bow our heads in prayer.